Hello everyone and welcome back to week four of our small group series going through uh, the book Kingdom Values. We're talking about identity today. Uh, last week we talked on identity as well, the first part of that chapter, and really we discussed a lot of false identities, uh, masks that we put on. We talked about uh, kind of what it means when we are shaped by the culture that we live in and how that defines um, our identity for us, and, and uh, so you can go back to and listen to that podcast if you've not done so already. But today we're going to jump right into it, and uh, we're going to be talking about a Christian framework in terms of our identity. Yep. So basically, uh, you know, last week, Clay, we talked uh, about a lot of different things, and and. One of the points we made is we jumped back to really the Garden of Eden when we started talking about how human beings uh, started to define what is good um, and really how we made a mess of that. And so the Christian framework starts at the reversal of that, and essentially it is God who defines yeah. what is good. I love N.T. Wright, and they quote him on page 59, and I'll just, I won't read the whole thing, but... But here's what he says pretty clearly and plainly. Uh, the Bible has a good deal to say about who we are as human beings and or as members of God's people and or as followers of Jesus, not least that we are made in God's image and called to be people in whom that image is being renewed. That's essential. He says, we thus find that to hold in our minds and hearts what the Bible says about who we are and to do our best to live by that, it clashes head on with our culture, which questions and challenges not only the Christian view of who we are, but all fixed and settled views of personal identity. And so, like we said last week, this is really a battle. I mean... Satan has sought to mar the image of God from the very get-go. And that's mm -hmm. what he did in the beginning. The, the image of God in Adam and Eve were marred by sin. Jesus has come as the image of the invisible God. That's what Scripture says in Colossians 1.15. So that image was messed up. We didn't, And that's what we say. We say this sometimes. Like We think that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be less human. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be more human. Mm. Jesus was actually, even though he's fully God, he's more human than we are because his human image is not marred. Ours is marred. So he's come to renew the image of God within us and give us a way back to being images of God in the earth and reflecting the goodness, the nature, the beauty, the love, the joy, uh, everything that God is through us and so the bible gives us a framework for that identity it's just that we live in a modern culture who mocks that yeah. you know and they and they reject that outright but whether they reject it or not and you said this you were talking about i think it sort of goes along in line with it you were talking about how somebody in your small group did you want to share that right quick yeah so our, our very first small group um we were talking and uh michael what's up buddy if you're listening to this he shared a really interesting um thought and he essentially said you know obviously we don't we know this is not going to happen this way but even if he were to die and heaven god all of it be a fluke he would not trade his decision to follow god now 
yeah. here on earth. And that's because, think about it, the things that we are chasing with all of these false identities, purpose, um, direction in life, joy, you name it, whatever, it's ultimately found in God and his design. And what I have found in my relationship with Christ, when he becomes first, when I am first and foremost, my identity is a child of God, everything aligns perfectly. Mm-hmm. All the things that we talked about before when we talk about you know your job, your status, uh, your longings, your items, all of those things, they can be properly held in your life. You can, you can properly function in all of those things when God is first and foremost, and he defines what is good. And I thought that was just an interesting point because, man, that's, I mean, what we find in Christ and when our identity is in him is we find a, and, and I wanted to share this too on on page 62. You know, one of the main points we talked about last week was the idea that that when our identity is found in the world, and it's found in all these other things. We talked about traditional and modern views, and essentially they're wrapped up in human validation, and that is constantly flawed. It's unstable. But when we recognize that our dependence is on Christ's righteousness, that results in a stable and freeing identity, mm. and we're no longer dependent upon human or cultural recognition we're living, and you shared this in a, a sermon not too long ago. We're living from a place, from we're living from approval, not for approval. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. It's just like everything aligns properly. Yeah, when our framework is in God and how He defines what is good and and His validation on us. Yeah, and that that's one of the amazing things about about the about the gospel which we you know we've just come off gospel and moved into identity but it begins with this this radical idea that God doesn't accept me or affirm me or love me based on what I've done or failed to do um, because when I put faith in Christ and I see what he's done for me on the cross scripture teaches it like this we we literally start from the finish line if you will mm. when we believe in Jesus our sin is transferred to him. Our brokenness, our shame is transferred to him on the cross. And in the transfer, we get his righteousness and our new identity is a child of God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's before I've ever done one righteous work. That's crazy. So I start from the finish line of I'm already clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm placed in Christ. And so just like Jesus when he was baptized, he had not done a miracle yet. He had not stepped out into ministry yet. He had done nothing for the Father yet. But the Father opens the heavens and says, This is my beloved Son. He gives him identity there in in whom I'm well pleased. He affirms him. He accepts him. He gives him identity. All in that all in that one thing before he does anything. And Jesus functions from a place of the Father's love. 
and we realize that we are now accepted in Christ. We are the beloved in Christ. We have already been blessed with all blessings in spiritual places, in heavenly places in Christ. And so we're not trying to earn these things from God. He's already said, in Christ I have given them to you. You are sitting in the same position, seated at the right hand of God the Father, in heavenly places as my very own dear son. That is your position. That is your status before you ever do anything. And so really coming into alignment and, to, and, and, and into agreement with who we are in Christ is half the battle. Satan's trying to condemn you and convince you that you're not accepted, that you're not loved, that you don't have this status, that you've not been blessed. And now he's trying to get you to work hard to do it and earn it from God when God's already said, no, you've already been given it. And you need to understand that. You need to walk in it. You need to live from it. And that does, that gives you a sense of security knowing that. So... Um, but, but, uh, you know, about what Michael said, I think that's interesting because I mean, what, what are your other options if you don't, you know, live a life for God, you live for temporal things that burn. Yeah. I, I mean, you have no, there's no concept of eternity. Uh, there's no concept. It, it's you, you live for this and, and you just live for, for pleasure. It's hedonism. You just try to feel as good as you can. And I've tried that path, you know, you, you, have as much sex as you can, get as drunk as you can, as high as you can, maybe get as much money as you can, maybe develop a career so people will applaud you and say, wow, look at that guy, he's successful. And and those are the goals. And if you fail, then you just, you fail and you die. But then if you pull it off, it all ends anyway. But what you find in the pulling off of that, and most people, I think it's why we see so many famous people who seem to have it all and be millionaires end up committing suicide. And you find that, behind the closet there's more darkness than you could ever imagine uh, I would rather I'm, I'm like him even if we find out that it's a farce it's real enough to me for me to realize that I it's the only thing that I've ever found peace in yeah. and it sets me free from chasing the rat race of this world system the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life I would rather I'd rather go after after this this God yeah. <laughs> that, that gives me a sense of peace and, and knowing that my identity is found in him and the world system doesn't doesn't define me, and it doesn't give me this thing to chase. I'm starting at the finish line. Yeah, and once you experience that man too, it just, I mean, his his existence and how true and how real he really is becomes so clear once you walk in and experience that for yourself, and you find true yeah. freedom and true identity. So, if you have a framework for identity, you know, one of the things there that he's talking about is is that good is defined by God. He is the ultimate good. He's really the only standard of good that we have. Uh, everything else falls dramatically short. And Augustine, um, a theologian, famous theologian back in the day, he talked about virtue being rightly ordered love. Because God is a God of design and order. Like, for example, he created sex as a very good thing. It was his design. It was his idea. He's the one who put pleasure and enjoyment in it. But if it functions outside of design and order, it can become a very evil thing. Yeah. And, and so virtue is rightly ordered love. Uh, created things can be loved the right way or created things can be loved the wrong way. We talked about idols last week when it comes to people or others or groups or longings or even items, things that we buy. We can love those things the right way and give thanks to God for them 
and appreciate what they are, but but we don't put them in the place of God mm. to find our affirmation, our value, our worth, our identity in them. Yeah. What kind of car I drive is not who I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, how much money I got in the bank is not who I am. Uh, whether or not you think I'm successful by world standards is is not who I am. God defines what is good. Sin is the absence of that good. And biblical goodness, when you see God showing up on the scene, it says that Jesus Christ comes on the scene, Acts 10, 38. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So biblical goodness, when when God creates in the beginning, he creates everything, and he said, and he, and he said that it was good. He created man, he said that it was very good. Sin comes in and erodes the goodness of God in the world around us. When Jesus shows up, what he's bringing is a restoration of biblical goodness. So biblical goodness, it's redemptive, it's beautiful, and sometimes it's confrontational. Mm, Because what biblical goodness does not do is let someone remain in something that is eroding and corrupting the goodness of God in your life and in the world around us. So sometimes biblical goodness, just like Jesus, comes in and confronts evil face to face. Because it's pushing it out. It's driving it back because it wants to restore the image of God within us. And anything that mars that image of God within us, God's design in us, God's design in creation, it comes at that to say, no, we got to get this out of here because we, need, we want to bring restoration according to God's original design. And, you know, we talked about this last week, but... One statement that we could make according to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, the root of evil is a desire to create goodness on our own terms. Mm-hmm. We, we decide what's good. Yeah. But ultimately, we've got to go to Scripture. We've got to go to God. We've got to look to Jesus to say, this is what God calls good, and this is, this is what we're going to go with as far as goodness goes. So, Yeah, it's, I think the... I think where people get the problem comes with our delivery of that, I think, and most of the time in terms of like even going back to the example of how God designed sex and how that ought to work, how relationships ought to work, how we steward our money ought to work, all those things. When we're doing something that's against that, you know, the the reason that Christians are adamant about, you know, kind of, being against those things is is because God's design is best, man. Yeah, and and, and, and yeah, you suffer you suffer the wrath of God in one sense, one definition of it is suffering the self-inflicted shards of uh, uh, basically the sh- going against the grain and suffering the shards of self-inflicted punishment. Yeah. When you go against the grain of God's design and order, it rubs up against you. You can't, you can't go against the way God has created and designed things. If you go in an opposite direction of love as the way God has defined it, it's going to cut you going in that direction. Yeah, it brings destruction. Yes. It's like, you know, I get an image of like you're walking over one of those one of those parking lots where you can go in over it, but if you come out, it's going to bust your tires. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the thing. There's a, there's a flow to God's creation. And when you go with that flow of, of love and order and design according to him, you're fine. But if you try to come out and go against that, you're going to bust your tires. Yeah. You're going to experience brokenness, pain, suffering, uh, worthlessness, shame, guilt, all those things. And so he's given us a design. 
Yeah, and it, and it's it's a beautiful design and it works. Yep. And man, when you and that's I mean that's that's where it gets so real because like you were saying, I too, I've tried the other stuff. Yeah, I've went against that design. And if we're honest with ourselves, like we're you know if you're going against that design yourself, you know how's it how's it going for you? Right. You know, and ultimately we can try to lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves and you know um, make excuses all we want. But at the end of the day, you know. We, we have to humble ourselves and, and realize that his design is best. And, th- and that's the beauty of it. When we do that, that's when we find, like I said earlier, we, we, we find freedom and we find stability and we can live out this life. And, and, and then all of a sudden what's, what's interesting about that, it, is, it doesn't matter whether you're the pastor or you're the worship leader or you're a teacher or you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or yeah. you work at a fast food restaurant your your job your career that doesn't define you your 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 status like you are you've already said said this but your money your clothes the cars you drive all those things are not what gives you your identity it's your identity first is in christ yeah and then all of those things like we said come into alignment yeah and you can function properly in those things you can you can be content with your position and and you know whatever god's blessed you in and, and the 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 path you're on and the the circle of influence that you have and you can function you know when it even when it comes to that you can function out of competition or or calling uh i was you know i, I was hanging out with a guy yesterday that that pastors over at a church in, in another another county and uh and he you know we were discussing some things about you know how basically people were sitting down maybe having a conversation and comparing our church with that church and like how well how did their church what's the difference between city of hope church and their church and this and that and then it gets into a conversation about the difference between pastoral leadership like how i my philosophy my philosophy their philosophy and here's here's the thing we you can get caught up in the trap again of comparison all the time even in ministry you know, you can get caught up in the trap of comparison. If I'm preaching on a Sunday, you may be tempted to get up and compare yourself to how, well, am I going to do a good job as clay or whatever? But here's the beauty of that is I don't have to compare myself to what they're doing because God has a calling on my life and he's designed me a specific way. So even though our philosophies, my philosophy may be radically different than this guy over here, he he has a specific calling. I can celebrate his calling and his difference, and he can celebrate mine, and we don't have to strive to be like one or the other because we are aware of what God has called us to be specifically. And so, there, you know, and when you don't know what God's called you to in your own personal identity, and honestly, that only comes from a relationship. you got to get with God and pray and let the Lord speak to your heart because there's so many pastors that I've spoken with and said, man, you need to do this. You need to do that. Well, I take some of it because I'm with, I want advice. I want correction. And sometimes they offer me good correction and I, and it bears witness in the spirit. And I know, man, I need to make this change. But there's sometimes when I realize very distinctly, God has not called me to that. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's called you to that, but he's called me to something different. And, and that's something very, very specific. That gets, that gets more depth into the specifics of of who you are personally with yeah, God. That's yeah. something that's only found in the secret place with God. But like you said, regardless of what you are externally, when you know that, you don't have to be everything. Yeah. Because you just you know what you're called to be. Well, you know what I'm called to be this particular I'm serving the kids 
at church, and that's where God's called me to be right yeah. now. Yeah. And you can celebrate other people yes. in their gifts and in their areas, and you can help equip them. And you know, it's yeah. not it's not a competition. And that's the, the as the body of Christ, just like our own bodies, each member does something differently. Yeah. But without one, something's like, like everything is dependent on each other too. Yeah. And as a body, there's we're not going to be. A, it's not a cookie right. cutter thing. We're not going to be the same. And being aware of those strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and those callings and giftings within the body is so essential and and recognizing I don't have this but my brother or sister does and encouraging them in that is how we really grow into the image of Christ completely I mean I have certain there's some things I'm awful at and I and I notice in our church people that just fill those holes where I can't possibly do it and I honestly enjoy it when somebody comes up to me at church on Sunday and says, hey, this, 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 and I'm like, I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because it's not my gifting, it's not my calling, and just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that I have to be actively involved in every single thing that's happening in this ministry because it's not mine, it's God's. Yeah. And when people know their calling and can fulfill their role, that's that's what we're looking forward uh, to. Anyway, that was kind of a, a, a little side thing we should probably move into validity from God. Yeah. And and a big part of that that they lay out is that that basically the the greatest blessing that God could have given us was that he created the, us. He blessed them and gave them a purpose in life as his image bearers. He created them male and female and called them good. And man, I again, I hate to be it's you know, you could say well that's political. No, it's a, it's a it's an issue between truth and error and, and doctrinal error and truth in our day. He called them male and female and said that was good. And, and so, you know, in today's world, we have now a spectrum of genders, and that hits at the very core of human identity. Mm, yeah. There is not a spectrum of genders. It's, it is binary. He called them male and female. And, that was, and he said this is good. And this is going to be the foundation for how you view life, a mother and a father, a husband and a wife. And from that, they, they have intimacy in a sexual union, in a covenant before God. And out of the apex of that, of that pleasure, they give birth to life. Yeah. And they create a family, which represents the very family of God. And you see God's design in that. He does that. He says that's good. But he gives them the greatest blessing which is you are my image bearers. That means that your, your primary purpose in this world is to be like me, to carry my love and express it in this world, to carry my authority and order things so that they function appropriately, that they look beautiful, that you can make things beautiful, that you can take chaos in this world and darkness in this world in the beginning the same way that I did and speak life to it and bring order to it and cause it to function properly and people will say, man, this is good. This mm. is beautiful. Mm. And, and you carry joy. You carry the humor of God. You carry the life of God. You are an image bearer. You're a reflection of who he is. And, and before you're anything else, that's what you are. You are the image of God. Yeah. You're an image bearer. And, and, and so put that first above everything, that I am called to become like Christ in this earth so that when people look at my life, they see a reflection of who God is, what his nature is like. And that's the greatest identity that can be given to us is to, to, is to be like him. Mm-hmm. 
And that should be the end goal of our lives, not to amass a certain amount of wealth or build a, build a big enough house or do this or that. Our main goal in life is to become like Christ and image him forth in this earth while we live here. And that's, that's a big part of, of what God's called us to. And that's beautiful, man. So he gives, us, he gives us that validity. We are his image bearers. And uh, he talks about those who fail are not excluded from the community. But as Christians, we understand that our communal identity is those who all should, have, all should have been excluded on the basis of sin, but who instead are included on the basis of Christ's righteousness. So when people fail to meet it, what we recognize is that we all failed to meet it. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the way to, to, to bring us all back in, and it's about Christ's righteousness and, and not our own. So when God starts to label us, you know, because, again, you could be labeled a million different things. Um, you know, Jeremy, you talked about, and you, maybe you want to dig into this some, but can you even can think about some of the labels that you've carried throughout your life? I remember you, you shared a story, and we might have even done it on this podcast. I can't remember. But just how, you know, even your name itself people associated that with a certain behavior and and things that would happen concerning your marriage yeah. and that's kind of generational identity yeah for sure yeah i remember it was is not too long after i got married um i was i was uh with with my family and uh and a guy said uh said basically you know we were talking about i, I was kind of making the, you know when it comes to marriage, how I wanted to do things differently, how, you know, I was in it for the long haul and was going to fight for it and things were going to be different with me and yada, yada, yada. And uh, the comment was made basically, you know, when you breed a beagle to a beagle, you get a beagle. Yeah. And it, it, it's in you, it, it, it'll eventually come out. And I was like, nah, I, I rebuke that in Jesus' yeah. name. And, and so, like, there's a there was a, a certain kind of, behavior that was expected to happen you know because of of my name or whatever yeah uh you know you're a, you're a baker you're this way and and you guys that are listening i'm sure you can relate the same way you're a this you know you can expect that from them yada 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 and so um yeah that was that that was a, a process for me of of praying through that and god really bringing some freedom from generational curses like you said in my life yeah to where i was just because i had this name or this label that that's not true that's not what god says about me that's not what he says is good that's not his design and you have to be careful about anything that you receive as far as a label that god didn't say we cannot afford to believe anything about myself about ourselves that god didn't say we were yeah, it's it's going to be destructive, even when it comes to like sometimes we take these personality tests or whatever, and and sometimes they can be helpful in in making you become self aware as a gro- like a growth tool to identify some struggles that you may have or what yeah. tendencies that you're wired toward, but really at the end of the day, no, you're growing in a direction where you don't allow those things to limit you. Yeah, that's good. To to something or even a gifts assessment. Uh, don't allow those to pin you in and say, well, it's just who I am. I'm just this. Yeah. No, not not if God doesn't say that. Uh, reject those things and, 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 and cast those down and come back to, to who he actually says 
that you are. And um, so anyway. Um, and, yeah, that, that's a battle we got to fight. It really for, is. For sure. You have to be – you have to have to be aware of those things. You have to be aware of those labels, because um, you can. We can very easily, and we've said this multiple times throughout this this series, is we can easily adopt things into our own belief system that is not from God. Easily, and we have to learn to dissect what is from Him and what is not. Yeah, that's spiritual warfare at its at its finest. And so, in the book, you know, the identity that God gives us to us as His followers. Some foundational stuff that that they lay out in the book is that you know he calls us holy and blameless, mm-hmm. and there because there is nothing that we can personally do uh, to remove our guilt or hide our sins, and we need a new holy, blameless, and righteous identity. And they read First Corinthians chapter six. I think these verses are powerful. Verse nine: or Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And man, that's brutal whenever you first read that because you're like, okay, that just sounds really, really harsh. But then the good news comes on the back end, and that is what some of you were. Yeah, we we all fit into the, these categories, but guess what? New identity. Yes. You were washed. That means that you've been cleansed. All your guilt has been washed away. You were sanctified. That means you were set apart from this world and set apart for God's purposes. You were literally made holy. God stamps you as His and says, "This is mine, chosen, brought out from the world, stamped as holy, clean, and pure." And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Justification is the process by which God makes us right in His eyes. So that when you put faith in Christ at that moment, you you were some of those things, but now you're justified. That means you're declared not guilty. And you are now right in the sight of God. He has forgiven your sins and you are forgiven, and you are free from any guilt. You don't have to carry the condemnation of what you were or what you did, no matter yeah. what it was. Yeah. And that's the, that's a starting point, justification. And so, but not only does he justify us, he declares us righteous and blameless in his sight, and then the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify us. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, this way of salvation. We were saved from the penalty of sin, justification. We're being saved from the power of sin, sanctification. We will be saved from the presence of sin, glorification. And sanctification is that process by which the Holy Spirit is transforming our heart and making us into the image of Jesus. He's renewing the image of God in us. Mm. But guess what? If he's trying, if, G, if, if he's come along, and like we said, we were made in the image of God in Genesis 3. The lie comes in. You can be your own gods. Sin entered. The image was marred. It was broken. It was like looking into a shattered mirror. You saw the reflection, but it just looked really ugly yeah, and, messed, and messed up. It's broken. Jesus comes on the scene, the perfect mirror, the perfect image. Looks just like God, is God. And then he says, now I'm going to create a pathway where you can be in me and I can be in you. And I will begin to renew that image of God as I designed it. I'll start to fix the cracks in the mirror. But see, that can be a very painful process because the process of sanctification is thank God that you're cleansed, you're washed, 
you're regenerated, you're forgiven of sin, but we still have struggles. And part of our, our spiritual growth is to receive inner healing. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to put His finger on some things in our life, like it may be our past, what happened with our family, abuse that I dealt with, certain sins that lock me into patterns of behaviors and mindsets that I need to bring before God and let Him continually burn out of me. But here's the difference. Uh, you know, an old view is i got to figure out how to work this out on my own. The new view is I have now access to God and God's holiness and God's purity through the blood of Jesus. So I keep coming into the fire of God to lay my sin out before him. And I'm fully known. And in that moment where he knows everything about me, even the ugliest parts, he pours his love, he pours his spirit in, and he transforms me into the image of Jesus. And he's setting me freer and freer every day mm-hmm. from from the old me and bringing me into who he's really truly designed me to be I think this is a huge point especially in like the American um, Christian kind of movement that's going on with you know it's essentially Jesus but it's also like just an affirmation of everything and there's no there, it's almost like the sanctification process doesn't exist right it's just like, you know, believe in Jesus but continue to live in all of these ways. They they want to make it easy for people. The church today wants to make it so easy for people, and they want to get people to attend church, and, and they want all of these things. But... But again, that's great. We want we want people salvation to be an easy step for people, but we also need them to understand that that it is it is a literal way of life. Yeah, that's it. And 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 the end goal of God saving you is not simply not going to hell when you die. The end goal of God saving you is you being renewed to the image of Christ. Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. He has a predetermined path for you, and the end goal of that path is that you will be like Jesus, and it begins now when you get saved. So when you get saved, you don't say, well, this is over. No, it's only just begun. Mm -hmm. You're heading up the hill, moving more and more from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. And so he moves on, and he says to be fully known, accepted, and loved, and and God is the ultimate source of our validation. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you get that picture of the prodigal son who takes all of his father's inheritance, goes and spends it on prodigal living. He, he ends up doing just some unimaginable things, ends up in the pig pen, eating, eating pig slop, and says, you know what, I'm going to go back to my father. Even, my, even his servants are living better than me. But when he goes, his father sees him a long way off, runs out, kisses his neck is so glad he's home puts a robe of righteousness on him that's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus puts a signet ring which is a ring of sonship that you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and you're sealed with the spirit and I give you my very identity I'm not ashamed to call you my very own even though you did all these all these things and then he 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 kills the fatted calf which is a picture of that he's even willing to shed his own blood for, for you and then he strikes up the band puts shoes on his feet saying you may have walked one direction but now we're walking in another and and he and he celebrates and God takes delight in you like you need to know that mm. part of your identity is that God gets up and is singing a song about you mm. he's smiling over you when I take people when I when I do counseling with people a lot of times you know people will be 
eaten up with just shame and guilt of some of the things that they've done, and they'll be like, I've never shared this with anybody. And we'll pray about it, and I'll just tell them how much God loves them, and and we'll, 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 I'll ask them to close their eyes, and we'll pray, and I'll say, now, now Jesus is walking into that wound. He's walking into that moment. What do you see? And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, man, in contemplative prayer like that, they'll get an image in their mind of, of just this light and this love flooding that wound, flooding that memory, flooding that room, and it overwhelms them. Uh, because all of a sudden they realize this God who I have offended, who I've sinned against, loves me more than I could ever imagine, and he accepts me in this moment. And it's not that he's affirming the bad things that I've done. No, he just That's loves me point. in spite of the bad things that I've done. And, he's, and, and he wants to burn them out of me and purify them out of me and heal me from them so that I can be what he's always wanted me to be. Mm. And, 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 but we are fully known. He knows every detail about us, yet in spite of that, he accepts us, he loves us, and he brings us into this, into this uh, journey of freedom. So then uh, we move into to divine purpose and calling. And God restores to us our divine purpose as human beings. He puts us back into this great commission and moves us back into what we were originally designed to do. And your purpose and your calling, you know, no matter what you're doing in ministry, is to make disciples and to bring the kingdom of God in your home, in your workplace, to your friends. That's your calling. Yeah, that's it. And uh, and and God is that. That's part. Of, that is your identity. And I think we need to understand that in in a in a world of today where there's so many identities and we're asking what is my purpose on the earth he says we can confidently say that it is to make disciples and bring god's kingdom to every sector of society and every part of our world that is what we are called to do no matter what job you've got no matter where you live you're called to make disciples in that spot and you're called to bring god's kingdom where you're at yeah and it could just be loving the person next to you today in whatever means that is um We've went a little bit longer. I think I just want to probably finish up with a few thoughts. But did you do you have anything you want to share before we before we close out here? No, I I just I love um, as we're getting into the and you're, you're probably going to touch on this some too. But when when he talks about Christianity and the Christian identity in the modern world, it, it, you know, you, we get this mindset of you know it's it's really hard to live a life for Christ in the world that we live in. And the beautiful thing is that's right where he wants us. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's called us and he's using it. It blows my mind that through the Holy spirit, he is using us to reach the world, to be the image of Christ in the here and now. And he wants us right smack dab in the middle of that in the world that we live in, um, to be an example. Um, yeah, I, it's just a it's a beautiful picture. Yeah, I agree, and that's what he's calling us to do: to put off false cultural identities and put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and holiness, in the mm-hmm. image of Him who created us. And yeah. we we live a countercultural identity. In our area, we have a poverty mindset we need to live with radical generosity we have a mindset of criticism Uh, we need to live by blessing others we've got a a mindset of of competition we need to live in calling Uh, we go against the grain of like of of what our what our culture saying what 
what's going on. We put off the old man and we put on the new yeah. that looks like Christ. And you're a child of God first. Yes. And then you're all these other things. And, 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 and we need to understand our identity in Christ, that it's unchanging, and that's what comes first. And he is the image that we chase after. The world gives us a million images to be a wealthy this or that or what. But no, the image we're chasing after, what we're seeking to become is like Christ. That's, that's what our true identity is. So in closing, here's what I would say. Spiritual warfare, 2 Corinthians 10 says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations, arguments, reasonings, and every lofty opinion that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so what you have to do is go in that back in that Appendix A and think about the lies that you've been told or you've believed about yourself that have kept you in a bondage and to a false identity once again and go back into Appendix A identify those lies, write them out, and then write down the new identity statements that replace those truths. Pray some of those identity statements out. Share them with your kids. Talk about the ones that speak most to your heart. And then, of course, at the end of the book, you'll want to, to finish up and do the, uh, do the self-reflection and, and those types of things on the Scripture passages and write some of that out. But just put some of this stuff into practice the best that you can. And as always, if you have any questions, you can let us know. Absolutely. It's been another good conversation, my friend. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys on the next one.